Okay, let's go and open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come together and to worship you and to study your word. Help us to see what you would have us to see from all of this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ruth chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the, to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to, to light on a part of the field belonging to, unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Okay, so we're going to stop there because then we get into the, the, the romance start. <laughs> um, we see here that it says Naomi had a kinsman laying the groundwork for the kinsman redeemer. And it... The picture of a kinsman redeemer as we get here, but uh, it's starting out to say that Naomi had a kinsman of her husband. And I think this is important of her husband. This isn't somebody that's in her family. This is the person who, it's, who is going to be the one who can redeem her. And if you remember the kinsman redeemer way back when we studied <laughs> the Pentateuch, when a man died without having any children, his next nearest male relative, usually a brother, would marry his wife and their first child would belong to his brother, his dead brother, and carry on the line of the brother. And so Boaz is in this line. He is a close kinsman. He's not the closest, as he'll tell us later on, but he is a close kinsman. And we see in verse 2, and this is interesting to me, Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go into the land and glean ears of corn after him whose sight I shall find grace. Okay, she apparently has learned enough about the Jewish traditions to know that she can go out and glean. And gleaning was to go out to the fields and follow the reapers and harvest whatever falls and in the corners. And what was to happen in those days were when the farmer would, would harvest his produce, he, would, he was to leave the corners totally untouched. Okay? And they were not to go back and go over the land that they had harvested. If something fell, it belonged to the poor. And this was God's way of taking care of the poor. That, you know, if you didn't have enough money to own fields and you were too, you know, poor to buy seed or whatever, you could go out to the farmer's fields and provide for yourself. You had to get up off your butt and work, but you know, it was a way to get, to get uh, provided for. Now some farmers who didn't really like the, the rule, they would cut the corner as tight as they possibly could, and they would leave two or three feet and say, see, I left the corner. And then you had those who were really righteous and generous, and they'd leave you know, huge parts of the corner and say, we're really going to take care of the poor. 
I really think that Boaz was one of those guys that left a good-sized chunk of the corner because we're going to see he's a very righteous man in all the aspects as we look at this story. But Ruth is, just as we said last week, Naomi's become very bitter from her sojourn in Moab. And she's coming back, you know, totally depressed. Uh, you know, the world has fallen apart for her. She lost her husband. She lost her two boys. And she comes back to whatever possessions they had, which we're going to find out they had some possession. And she comes back, and all she has is herself and Ruth. And no money, just whatever property that they had. And she comes back bitter, and we talked about last week how Ruth is coming back seeming to be an anxious follower of God, looking forward to what God's going to do. And we see that she is a go-getter. Okay? Uh, my oh, mother-in-law, let me go out, let me go out and go get us some food. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go harvest. I'm gonna find some place to get us some food. And I think she really the way she language was, I think she understood these farmers are supposed to you know provide for us by leaving the corners and I can go out. And her mother, Naomi, says, go. <laughs> yeah, go. We don't want to starve to death. <laughs> go ahead and get out there and do some work. Uh, and it says, and she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her, and her hap, her circumstance was to come to the field that belonged to Boaz, who was of their kindred. And so this was not a planned event on her uh, part. But there are no consequences with God. Everything that goes on with God is a planned event, even if we don't know it. It may seem like circumstances to us, and have you ever given somebody a testimony about all the things that God has done for you? And you go, boy, you're a lucky person, you know? No, God is the one in control of everything. There's no luck involved in this. God is providing and taking care of. And, you know, it's got to be awful to think that everything is just circumstantial or, or lucky. What a miserable way to live. And yet we know everything is planned by God. And it may seem like circumstance for us, but it's all planned by God. It's not luck, it's fortune. <laughs> Very fortunate to have God. They would leave out the God part, but well, how fortunate you are. But you know, so she goes to the field of the one who is very important in this story. Verse four. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then said Boaz unto a servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from morning until now, and she tarried a little in the house. Then, Boaz, then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hear you not, my daughter, do not glean in another field, neither go from here, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let your eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go at you after them. Have I not charged the young men that they should not touch you? And when you are athirst, go into the vessels and drink that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell upon her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in your eyes that you should take knowledge of me and seeing that I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, it has fully been showed me all that you have done unto your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your nativity and you are come to a people which you knew not therefore. The Lord recompense your work and a full reward be given you of the Lord God of Israel 
under whose wings you are come to rest. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and for that you have spoken friendly to your handmaid, though I be not like unto one of your handmaids. And Boaz said unto you, at mealtime come you hither and eat of the bread and dip your morsel in vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat and was sufficed and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young man, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls on purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Okay, long section, but I wanted to read the whole romance section, the beginning of the romance here. Uh, so verse 4. Boaz comes out of Bethlehem to the fields, all right? And the fields surround Bethlehem. And remember, Naomi and Ruth now live in Bethlehem because that is Naomi's home. Because that's later on going to be David's home. And they're the grand, you know, they're in the line of David. And so he comes out. And you look at his, his greeting to the, to the people was, his servant was, and servants was, the Lord be with you. And their answer, the Lord bless you. This shows us how righteous is. His, his greeting isn't, well, how much, how much uh, food have you, you know, gathered already? And you know, it wasn't, wasn't any kind of harsh. It wasn't any demands. But his blessing was a blessing of, of God. The Lord be with you. And their answer was just as, you know, and the Lord bless you. You know, we see a righteousness here. And we're going to see how righteous he is as we go through the story. But we just see even in his greeting, he's being righteous. And then in this next verse, and this one is the, the fun one we have. Then said Boaz unto a servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? Okay, now there's two schools of thought on this. One is just he sees a stranger out there, he doesn't know who, who she is, and he's going, who is this? And this, that is a fair and valid interpretation of this. And Bethlehem's not a very large town. They pretty much know everybody in town, but you would think that he would know Ruth at this point because uh, she's come with Naomi. There's been a big stir on this. Uh, I tend to agree with many pastors I've heard that says this. It's more of, you know, who is that beautiful girl out there? <laughs> you know, this girl has caught my eye, and I tend to believe this because of all this other stuff he's doing for. This isn't just a, you know, who is that stranger out there in the field? And it could be. I mean, because he is a righteous man. He knows the story of so we may find out, okay, this is really okay, and know her story, let's, let's really bless her. I, I just don't think that. He's a man. You know, he's a man, and I have a feeling that she's pretty good-looking. Yeah. She's a pretty good-looking girl, because he's also telling her, don't go anywhere else. You know, and I'm going to give my men command, they're not to touch you. Okay? I have this feeling that she's pretty good-looking by whatever standard they have of good looks. Okay? And I say that because who knows? I mean, the, the standards for looks are vastly different generation to generation. Uh, I've told the story. We were in, in the Phoenix area, one of the small towns. We went to a museum of natural, uh, huh? Mesa. Mesa. And we went to this museum. And in this was this postcard. And it said, the bathing beauties are coming. And these girls were very rotund by our standards. <laughs> OK. Uh, you know, but it was kind of like, okay, their standard of beauty when this postcard was put together was girls had to have some meat on them, much opposed to our standard of beauty today where somebody has to be skin and bones, you know, which I don't think is very beautiful myself, but that's our tends to be the standard in our generation. 
so I don't know what she was, but whatever she was, she caught Boaz's eye, and he's protecting her. He's setting up to protect her. And a case could be made about him just being a righteous man and protecting this stranger and all that. But I think the love story that follows through on this would be she caught his eye. <laughs> Uh, especially when he starts giving her a special meal. I mean, his meal is not just let's give her some food. And when we get down to that meal, we'll look real close at that meal, and this is a, a, a pretty big deal. Uh, so he goes, who is this? And his servant says, well, this is, this is the Ruth, the Moabitess that came back with Naomi and probably rehearsed the story about how she came back with Naomi and she's been a blessing to Naomi. She was married to, to Naomi's son. That uh, She left her people behind to to be a follower of the God of Israel. Okay, and that's the big thing. We made a big deal out of that last week. She went to be a follower of the God of Israel. And she's obviously been studying. She studied enough of the scriptures to know that she can go out and glean the fields and get food for her and Naomi. And so she's been, she's been looking. She has that trust in God. Because remember she said, I will go where you go, I will go, your God will be my God, your people will be my people. Okay, she's making a commitment to Naomi to be what would be called a proselyte. She's, she's changing her religion to Judaism. Okay, and so here she is, and they're giving, giving him the story. And then he continues, when she said, you know, let me glean after your reapers among, among the sheaves, and she has continued from morning until now, and she carried only a little in the house. And this is probably a tent for shade during the, during the times when the reapers would, would stop working. But do you catch this? He's saying she's been very industrious. She came early in the morning, and she has been here up until whenever now is. Okay, now is before lunch because we're going to see him having lunch. So she got there probably at the sunrise, and she's been working all morning with the reapers. And that's going to impress him as well. Okay, this person is, is very industrious. She's going to, she's trying to really do well. And this would be a big deal. Okay, in our day and age, we give the poor all kinds of stuff and just give it to them so they don't have to work. And God's plan was, get out and work. And she's showing that she's a worker. She's not lazy, and that probably is going to win Boaz's heart. You know, here, here she caught his eye as a pretty girl by his standards. Now he finds out that she is a uh, vigorous worker. Okay, she's been out there working as hard as everybody else, and doesn't seem to be wanting to stop. And that's going to impress him. So she's not just another pretty face is what Boaz is finding out. All right, verse 8. Boaz said unto Ruth, Okay, hear you not, my daughter. Do not glean in another field. Neither go hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. In other words, stay wherever my, wherever my maidens are working, you stay with them. Okay? And even in those days, just as it is today, it was not safe for a woman to be out alone on her own. And I know people don't like to hear that in our, in our day and age, but it's still, it's not safe for a woman to be alone in most cases. It's really not safe for men to be alone sometimes, but women are particularly vulnerable because people picture them as the weaker, whether they are or not. And in this case, Boaz is saying, don't, don't go out into other fields, because I can't guarantee what will happen in other fields. Uh, those men may not be the caliber that my men are going to be. And he says, stay with my, stay with my girls. I want you protected. Okay, so he's taken a personal interest into protecting her. Now this, again, could be because she's very pretty in his sight, and it's also because he knows that she is a near kin, kinsman, because she's 
Naomi's daughter-in-law. So he could take a personal interest for family. And again, I'm, I'm not going to make this into a huge because this can go either direction. Okay, most people look at it as a beautiful love story, and I really do because everything that comes into it, believe it is the love story. But I also think he's looking at her as family. Let me protect you. By protecting you, I'm protecting Naomi as well. I don't want you to go out in somebody else's field and go harvest all day and then lose everything that you, that you picked up because of uh, violence being done to you or, or abuse. Verse 9, let your eyes be upon the field that they do reap and go you after them and, and have, I, have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch you? And that's a pretty interesting thing. He goes, these guys are not going to touch you because I have told them not to. And I'm their master, but they will not touch you. And you know, I have a feeling that this probably was a comfort to, to Ruth, okay? Because she is out there all alone. She's a stranger, okay? She's an alien, and that automatically puts her in a bad place, okay? She's a woman, yeah. she's an alien, and in amongst people she doesn't know. She doesn't know whether she has a friend anywhere other than Naomi. Because they're still in the barley harvest. And remember, they got there during the days of the barley harvest. So she's got there, and she's only been there a day or two, and she's out getting food for her and Naomi. And so uh, Boaz is saying, stay here with my people. You know, uh, literally stick with them. When it says, uh, hold, abide here fast, it merely means cleave to, stick with them. <laughs> okay, he says, and, I'm and by the way, I've told my men not to touch you. If they touch you, they're going to be in trouble, is the ramification on this. So she now has safety. She has somebody looking out after her. Okay? She doesn't yet know why he's necessarily looking out after her. And we don't know whether he's being really coy and careful with this or if he's you know, making it very obvious to her that, he, that she's caught his eye. And we're going to see that he's, she's definitely caught his eye in a little bit. Uh, and he says, when you're thirsty... Go into the vessels and drink that which the young men have drawn. Now, I don't know if you really understand this, but the job of drawing water belonged to the woman. Okay? So he's telling Ruth, go get the water that the young men have drawn for themselves. All right? This is a turnaround in roles in, in many ways. He says, if you're thirsty, don't go out to the well. He's literally telling her, stay here in my field. Okay? He is definitely protecting her at this point. If you're, even if you're thirsty, I don't want you leaving my property to go to the well to go get water. You just take the water that these guys have drawn for themselves. And he said young men, too. Yeah, young men. The ones that would be interested in her as well. Yeah. Okay? Uh, so and young men are the ones that work the fields. That's why Boaz, being the owner, wasn't working the field. Uh, and her, her answer, her thing, she fell on her face, bowed down to him and said, why have I found grace in your eyes that you should take acknowledgement, and, uh, that you should take knowledge of me seeing I am a stranger? You know, why have you noticed me? I'm just an alien. I'm a, I'm a foreigner. And, you know, why are you taking such kindness on me? She doesn't know yet who Boaz is. Okay? Well, she knows that, if she probably knows that there's a man named Boaz who's their kinsman redeemer, but right now he hasn't told her who he is. He's just some guy living in Bethlehem that's been nice to her. Some Jewish guy <laughs> being nice to her. Okay? Which is quite an interesting thing because you've got to remember 
Jewish people did not recognize the foreigners as even worthy of recognition. Okay? They would walk past them without even ever thinking about them or dealing with them. Uh, when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, okay, he had all these good guys walking past him, the priest, the Levite, and the one that helped the guy that was hurt was the Samaritan. And that had a double edge. I mean, not only was a Samaritan not a Jew, he was a half-breed that they would walk totally out of their way to avoid having to deal with. And so Jesus picked not even just a foreigner, but one of the worst foreigners that he could pick to and say, this guy helped him. Okay. So Ruth has probably felt a little bit about this since she's come into in with Naomi, there's probably been some prejudice against her. It never says this, but there's going to be some prejudice against her. Who is this Moabitist that's come in? Yeah, she's staying with Naomi. I mean, yeah, Naomi's happy with her. She's, she chose to stay with Naomi rather than go home, but who is this, who is this stranger among us? And Bethlehem was a small town. Okay? It wasn't a very big town. It wasn't even a big town when Jesus was born. Okay, and it's a really small town in this day. And we see here, as we all know, in small towns, it takes a while for the new person to become a member of that town. There's people who have lived in small towns for 20 or 30 years who are still the outsider until the next new outsider comes. Okay? <laughs> and this is the kind of thing it's going to be. Right now, she's an outsider, and she's not even a Jew. So this really makes her an outsider. And you can hear in her her plea, why are, you even, why are you even taking knowledge of me? You know, you've acknowledged me and you're doing all these kind things to me. And Boaz answers, it has been fully showed me all that you have done to your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your nativity and you are come to a people which you knew not thereof. So he says, I've been told your story. I've heard your story. You've chosen to be one of us. You've chosen to leave your people. He's getting quite an impression of her. Okay? He sees a beautiful girl that catches his attention. Then he's told about how hard a worker she is. And then he gets to hear the story about how she came to be living in the area. And that touches his heart. Okay? Your husband died and you could have stayed behind and you chose to come back with Naomi. You know, so he sees, I mean, everything he's seen about her is probably making him like her more and more. I'm not going to say that he's fallen in love yet, because we're going to find out by the end of the book, he's much older than she is. Okay, because he's going to tell her, thank you for paying attention to me when you could have chosen so many of these younger, <laughs> younger guys. Which indicates that she's fairly young compared to him anyway. And... Why that's going to be a big deal, I don't know, because in those days, the older guy usually married somebody that was about 20 years younger. So that would either indicate that she was much younger than that or he was much older than that. So he says, the Lord recompense your work and, full, and a full reward be given you of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you are come to trust. And so he's given her all kinds of blessings. May the Lord recompense give you a full completeness of your work and a full reward, a full and perfect reward or from you for the Lord, of, Lord God of Israel under whose wings you 
are come to trust. He's recognizing that she has chosen God. All right? How he knows this, I don't know. There's got to be some backstory to some of this that we don't know, the, the story around town. Uh, and as I said, you know, she chose to follow Naomi and God. And she's been showing her faithfulness in God's way of doing things all along here. And now she's getting rewarded for her faithfulness. And you know, one of the things I see so often for us, God wants to bless us. All he wants, though, for us to be obedient. And we look at this and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? He says, be obedient. Yeah. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, we know that we don't keep his commandments to earn heaven or to earn the praises of God. But we do go before God and follow him and keep his commandments. And there's great reward in being obedient. Not necessarily financial rewards, not necessarily anything else. In this case, she's, what reward she's seeing is just being cared for, just being protected. And that's a big care for her. Because right now, there's nobody. When she, when she goes home to Naomi, there's nobody there. It's just her and Naomi. And now she's got somebody who's paying attention to her and are looking after her and said, I'm gonna, you're going to be protected. While you're, you're under my care. Stay in my fields and you're under my care. And we see this over and over from him. And you know, he's saying, he pronounces a blessing on her. Now, I don't know if at this point he's already wondering, you know, will I be the kinsman redeemer for this girl? Uh, probably not even thinking about that yet. But he is looking and saying, God's gonna bless you. He speaks in a prophetic way to her, more so than he even realizes probably at that time. God is going to care for you. You're going to get a full reward for your, for your coming with Naomi, for your uh, industriousness, uh, for, your, for your good work and everything. And then she said, in verse 13, she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and for that you have spoken friendly unto your handmaiden, though I not be like unto one of your handmaidens. I'm not quite sure what she means completely like that. She's not a Jewish girl. She's a Moabitess. But remember, the Moabites are part of the family because remember, we talked about that, how they came through Lot. Okay, so they're part of the family, but they have been intermixed with the people of, those, of that region. So they may be a darker skin. So she may have a darker skin than, he's, than the rest of the girls, but at least she's saying, I'm different. I don't, I'm not like the rest of your girls out here. Huh? You know, so what that means, I'm not fully sure. But she's saying, you've taken notice of me. And you've taken pity on me. And she's saying, I thank you for the favor that you've shown me. We also see how righteous she is. She's thankful for everything she gets. Have you ever, tried, have you ever helped somebody and they've shown no thankfulness whatsoever in, in your help? You know, they act like it was owed to them. You know, they're, not, they're not a whole lot of fun to try to help sometimes, and yet Naomi, uh, Ruth isn't like that. Thank you for all the help, and you hear that in her voice, you know, you hear that in the words she's saying. You've taken notice of me, thank you. I am so glad that you have noticed. And you know, this also kind of makes me indicate to me, to me that she hasn't had a lot of great reception from the people of Bethlehem up to this point. And that would be expected. 
because she is a Moabitist. She's a foreigner. She doesn't, she also, she's not going to get a whole lot of respect. You know, this is, this is a girl we don't care. She seems to say that she's following God, but we don't know what she's up to. And which is two dual things. She's of the wrong, you know, she's not trusted because they don't trust her, her testimony. Have you ever seen people whose testimony has not been accepted by people? Well, I wonder what this person's really trying to do. And sometimes in small churches that happens frequently. And uh, so here she is. She's not, she's not a Jew when she comes. And she's a foreigner. <laughs> and she's with Naomi. What is she trying to do? Get, Naomi, get Naomi's property? You know, there's going to be all kinds of rumors about her, good and bad. And we, we know how fast rumors go in a, small, in a small town. And this is where she's at. She's in a small town. All these people are going, well, you know, it sounded like she made all the right decisions, but I wonder what she's really up to. How often do people try to put motive to things that go on? You know, uh, we see it all the time. People go, well, they said this, but I think they really meant, well, why can't we take them at their word until they prove that they're, they're wrong? When the spies went in to spy out the promised land and they came back, the, the 12 spies, they came back. Do you remember what they said? They, the 10 spies said, there's giants in the land. They're really big, and we look like grasshoppers in their eyes, but, which was up to that point, they're given a good report, a valid report. And then they added one more phrase. And so we looked in their eyes. We looked like grasshoppers, and that's how they saw us, as grasshoppers. Now, we find out from Rahab later on that the people in the promised land were scared to death of the people. They were not seeing grasshoppers. <laughs> okay? But the children of Israel made a decision based on what the spies said was the opinion and thoughts of the giants. How often have we made decisions in our life based on what we think somebody is thinking about us? Okay, we need to be very careful that when we start making decisions, we base them on actual facts. And I would even say that's probably not even enough because the Bible tells us that the faith, the just shall walk by faith. I should be able to take God, you're in control. It doesn't matter what they're going to do, what they're going to say, what they're going to think, because nothing's going to happen that you do not allow. Can you see the difference on this? If I put my trust in God and my faith in God, it doesn't matter what other people do, say, or think. Or what I think that they do, say, or think. Because God's in control. Because I make a lot of bad decisions when I'm trying to say, well, I wonder what they're thinking. I think that they like me, so I'll make a decision based on the fact that they like me. And then we find out they despised you. <laughs> You know, they were being two-faced to you. You know, they were telling you that they liked you on one side and then stabbing you in the back at every opportunity on the other side. Or you make a decision based on the fact that you think they hate you and that they're a terrible en you know, potential enemy, and then later on you find out, oh, wow, they were afraid of me. You know, they were afraid of not necessarily me, but the God that I represent. Very important that we be make sure that our decisions are based on God and my faith in God. And I've said this over and over. We need to let God be our defender. When, even if we do have a legitimate enemy, 
We let God defend us. David was a great example of this situation. Saul trying to kill David. And David, on at least two opportunities that are recorded in the scripture, could have killed Saul. And as a matter of fact, he was encouraged to kill Saul by all of his, all of his uh, men around him. This is your oppor opportunity. You've been anointed king. Go kill him. Yeah. He's sleeping, and you're standing right next to, right next to his bed. You know, and he's asleep, and his army's asleep. Kill him. You know, oh, he's in here uh, using using the facilities, and he's totally, totally without any protection. You can kill him. And David says, no, I am not going to put my hand to him. He had every opportunity, but he says, God is my defender. He will take him out when the time is right. And so we need to be willing to be able to say, God, you're my defender. Is that easy to do all the time? Absolutely not. It's hard when somebody attacks you to not want to or not strike back. We always will want to because we're human. But, you know, sometimes it's very hard not to strike back. But we let God be our defender. And we see this happening here. All right. Verse 14. I love verse 14. This is, this is, this is an interesting verse. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come you here, and eat of the bread, and dip your morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. Here is Boaz inviting her to lunch. Okay, this was not usually done to the people that were re gleaning the fields. Okay, it was usually go take care of yourself. You know, we're providing you the we're providing you the the leftovers on the field. Go you go home or or huh? These are the ones that can't afford. It. Well, it's anybody who wants to go out and glean. I mean, it could actually be the rich, but usually it was the poorest of the poor that went out. The ones who didn't have a job, couldn't afford to eat, couldn't. Couldn't afford to plant, plant a garden. And she was being invited by Boaz to come to lunch. Okay. Now, he's not being forward enough to say, you and I are going to go off together. He's being, they're being, she's being invited to eat with all of the, the harvesters. But this is still a departure from the norm. Okay. You usually didn't go out to the widows and, and orphans out there and say, oh, all of you come in and eat lunch. Now, again, some will make the argument, maybe Boaz did this. You know, maybe he did invite the people that are gleaning to eat, a, eat at his table. But this next part, I'm sure he did not do for everybody. He reached out and gave her food. Okay. Uh, he reached her parched corn, and she did eat and was sufficed and left. We're going to find out that she was not only sufficed, she took some home for Naomi. He did not just give her a small spoonful of food on her plate, he took like a huge scoop, <laughs> you know, a huge scoop and put it on her plate. I think at this point he's saying, uh, I'm paying attention to you, young lady. Uh, do, do, do we have any hope here, ideal? You know, it's, uh, yeah, because this is, this is beyond, I mean, this is beyond just noticing her. This is beyond just caring for her personally. He, she, he is now providing for her in abundance. This is a picture, he is being a picture even here of Jesus. Jesus coming out to us on the harvest fields and saying, I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to protect you. If you're thirsty, come get the water that I provide. When it's time to eat, 
I'm going to provide you your food, and you're going to have more food than you can handle. And do you, I hope that's what you experience with God. He's, yes, he's also the kinsman redeemer. He is our kinsman redeemer. So this whole picture, Boaz is a picture of Jesus in all aspects of this, not just the kinsman redeemer part, but even in this part, he's providing for Ruth, just as Jesus provides for us. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I will give you the living water that you will never, so you'll never thirst. I will give you, my body is, your, is food, come and eat of me. This is Boaz being all of this for her. I'm protecting you, my men are not going to touch you, and they're, you're under my care and protection. Nothing's going to happen to you while I'm here, just as we have that same protection. Nothing happens to us unless God allows it to happen. And when he allows it to happen, he's doing it for a reason. We may not particularly like the reason at the moment it's happening, but when we get down the road far enough to see what the reason was, we'll probably accept it. Definitely when we get to heaven and see everything about what happened to us and get to see just what happened by, you know, because of what happened. And, you know, we watched that movie, and I loved it, loved their analogy of we're on this earth looking at the tapestry from the wrong side. We see the knots and the and the cuts and the hanging threads and everything. What does God see from heaven? He sees something totally different in heaven. He sees a beautiful picture that he's been, been creating on this world. And when we see it from that side, and we go, oh, oh, my life was pretty hard and dark. Oh, wow, it, look at that, it's right there. It brought out the highlight of this, of this part of the picture. And we'll go, okay, God, I, you used me to, to be the highlight of the picture, <laughs> thank you. We'll probably thank him up there. We're not necessarily always thanking him down here. We should thank him down here. Truly, we should thank him down here if we believe that all things work together for good and if we truly believe that he's sovereign and we truly believe he's a good God and has nothing but good for, in mind for us. And yet, the tests that we go through are just to decide, do you believe all these things? When we go through these hard things, God is saying, do you believe? Do you trust that I'm good? Do you trust that I have a good plan? And again, I've said many times, the plan may not be for our good. It is for good. And God says, I've got a reason for it. How many times do we fight so hard against God and what he's trying to do in our life, and we get miserable because we're fighting tooth and nail against God? Sometimes we do it for, for a couple minutes, hours, days, weeks, <laughs> decades. <laughs> Hopefully not decades, but I know people who've de fought tooth and nail for decades, years. And how miserable are we when we're fighting God's plan? Because God does not let us get out of that test until we finally pass the test. And we can sit there and fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and be miserable and be miserable. And then finally say, okay, God, I give up. And he says, he says thank you if it's real quick. And he probably says about time if it's been a long time. And he says, here's, here's what we're going to do now. And as I've said, the really good news is when you pass the first test, he just sends another test to you. <laughs> but you know, if we get to the right attitude about the test and say, God, you've got something good in, up in mind for us, in the long run, we'll, we'll relax in him, we'll rest in him. Faith, rest in God. The finished work, he has done the work. We all, all we have to do is rest in him. Rest by faith. And say, God, don't know exactly what you're trying to do, but I've got, I know you've got a good plan, and I'm just going to rest in it. And life is so much easier. I wish I did it more often than I do. 
But you know, it's fun when I do it right. And I hope it's fun when you do it right, you see the same thing, when you just rest in God and you watch what he does. And he's our shelter. He's our protection. He's our shield. He's our buckler. All the things that he tells us. And if we just rest in him, the storm breaks against him. And we've talked about this. A good place to be in a storm is a good sturdy house. Or a building anyway. With a good foundation, good roof, good walls. You don't want to be in a pup tent during the middle of a hurricane. Okay? There's no, no protection in a pup tent in a hurricane. Wish yeah, it would be a lean-to. <laughs> Open on three sides. You know, that would be a real miserable place to be, even in a storm. And God says, I'm your protection. I'm your fortress. I'm your strong tower. Hide in me. Life is so much easier when we hide in him. And this is what Boaz is being for Naomi, uh, for Ruth, rather, saying, just stay on my fields. I'm going to be your protector. I'm going to be your provider. Just hide. And by the way, when you're hungry, I'm going to make sure you're fed. And I don't know, it doesn't say whether this was a standing place for her to come. I have a feeling it was. Come and dine with the reapers because now you're under my protection and I'm caring for you. And so, but we see he provides her. She is sufficed, which means she got full. And it doesn't, we don't know how long it's been since she's had a really good meal. Uh, her husband is, has passed away. They were in Moab because of the famine, and they didn't have a whole lot in Moab. So it's probably been a while since she's been totally full. And she gets up and leaves and goes back to work. Verse 15, And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded the young man, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not. In other words, where you're working, if she gets off the edges and she even gets into the middle of the field... Don't stop her. At this point in time, he's letting these guys know that he likes this girl. Because <laughs> you know this is not the normal routine. Then he gives one more command to them in verse 16. And I'll also follow some handfuls on purpose for them and leave them that she may glean and rebuke her not. Okay? So he's not only saying, okay, you, she can go out, on the, out there. He goes, but when she's behind you, drop a bunch of it on purpose. <laughs> I don't know if Ruth ever notices them dropping this stuff on purpose or these guys are really good about dropping it on purpose or not, but she's going to find an abundance of food this way. What's your say, Lynn, that you want to bring out? One says, don't insult her. Don't insult her? Yeah. Um, I would say rebuke is probably the better term in this case. Most people are insulted by, most people are insulted by a rebuke, so reproach, yeah. In other words, don't tell her to get, get away from there and go back to the sidelines where she's supposed to be. So whether it's rebuke uh, or, or insult her, uh, because most of them wouldn't have been nice telling her to get away from, you know, because I can almost picture these guys are Jewish guys that haven't fallen in love with her as Boaz, so their, their commandment would be, hey, you Moabitist, you foreigner, get out, get out of the field, you know, get to the edge of the field where you belong. Okay, so in one sense, insult might be what they would be inclined to do, uh, but basically saying, don't, you know, you're not to keep her from doing it. And I just love this. He goes, he's already given her a big meal, and he says, okay, make sure that you give her plenty. You know, you drop handfuls on purpose, okay? You, you guys go be clumsy for a while if she's behind you. <laughs> That's really what he's been telling them. Be clumsy, drop, drop the stuff, and let her be able to, and just keep walking and let her pick up a large amount of food. Uh, this is a lot of care. But again, 
isn't this the way Jesus is? He gives us the Holy Spirit and says, we have an overabundance of stuff available to us. Whatever you shall ask, you shall receive. Whatever, knock and you shall find. Seek and you shall, a knock and it shall be answered. Seek, not, uh, seek and you shall find. Ask and it shall be given to you. And here he's saying, I want her provided for. I've given her a good meal. I've told her she can get the water. Now you guys drop a bunch of, bunch of food for her so she can get it. For provision. Again, we see the picture of Jesus here taking care of her in a very big way. And then it's verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out that which she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley or about nine gallons or 40 liters. That's a pretty good harvest for, for two women to, to have. Okay, this gives them now enough money, enough, enough barley to be able to make their barley cakes so they can eat. And also probably go to the, to the marketplace and be able to do some trading. Okay, nine gallons you know, of barley is a good bit of, good bit of barley. I, I can't picture nine gallons. I can picture the 40 liters is a lot. Is a, is a lot of, lot of uh, barley. So she has harvested more than enough barley to meet their, da their daily needs and gives them something that they can use for trading. Not a whole lot. I mean, if she got this every day that she's out there, it would be pretty good. Yeah, he wants her to come back tomorrow. Well, he wants her to come back. He, well, he told her, don't go anywhere else. You go wherever my, wherever my reapers and my, and my maidens are, you go there. Okay. Uh, verse 18, 18, and she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and, she, and had brought forth, and she, and she brought forth and gave her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. So she also gets part of Ruth's lunch. Okay, she comes home with nine gallons worth of, of uh, barley seed, and she brings leftovers home for Naomi. Okay, and 19, and when her mother-in-law said unto her, where have you gleaned today, and where were you? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of you, and she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, The man's name whom I wrought to today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter, Blessed be the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is a near kin unto us, one of our near kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me, You shall keep fast by my young men, until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maidens, that they meet you not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of the barley harvest and of the wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. All right, so she gets home. Naomi's going to get this great big blessing. Here's a great big basket of, of barley. She gets the leftovers from lunch, uh, which, which is why I said Boaz didn't just give her a small portion of uh, this. He gave her a heaping portion. Kind of reminded me of when uh, Joseph had lunch with his brothers when, just before he revealed them to him, and he set them up by age, remember? And he gave Benjamin four times as much as his brothers. And everybody's kind of amazed. Number one, they're in age order, and then Benjamin gets this great big you know, more food that he's going to be able to eat. And this is what he's done to, to Ruth. He's given her 
enough food. She goes home. So her mom, her mother-in-law, you know, hey, where, where did you go? <laughs> you know, who, who took such good care of you? Who, who, who paid attention to you this way? And she showed him where, where it was and said it was Boaz. You know, went, went to Boaz's. You know, I just accidentally, by consequence, <laughs> ended up in Boaz's field, you know. And, you know, but, you know, she knows that this is God's hand at work. She knows it's not consequence. She knows it's not accident. And then Naomi goes, blessed is, be, the, be the Lord who has not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. This is kind of an interesting statement. I still think at this point Naomi considers herself dead. You know, she's come back bitter. Remember the statement when she came back, they go, is not this Naomi? And remember, Naomi means, uh, no, she said, call me Mara. But Naomi means my delight. And she comes back and she says, don't call me delight, my delight. Call me uh, Mara, uh, sorrowful, you know, murmur, bitter. You know, so, you know, she's even at this point saying, you know, hey, I'm dead. My sons are dead. My husband's dead. There's nothing nothing in this life for me. I got this daughter-in-law, but what's the daughter-in-law going to do me? I'm not going to have any sons to have any, any kids to my name. And it seems that Naomi has forgotten about the kinsman redeemer, redeemer part in one sense. She keeps talking about him, but you see the lack of faith in Naomi's heart. Every time she speaks, there's no faithfulness in what she's saying. She is, she is worn down in her bitterness. She's worn down in her, in her despair. And so many people get this way. When they're walking with God and they get wrapped up in their misery and all they can think about is how miserable they are and how bad things are, and they'll spend that time wallowing in despair. And God's saying, just turn to me. I've got, I've got blessings for you. <laughs> you know, we've got something to work out here if you will just quit wallowing in despair. Because God's not going to bless us when we're, in, when we're wallowing in despair. He's not going to show us his blessing. And number one, we wouldn't see it even if he did. Here she is. She's still wallowing in her despair. And God has just blessed them with a great big bushel full, of, a big basket full of barley. And she's got leftovers from lunch. And she's still wallowing around in despair. Uh, you know, but at least she recognizes that Ruth is alive. And all she's looking at is all the death in her life. You know, all the despair in her life. She's got one bright spot, and that's Ruth. And yet she doesn't have any great plans that Ruth is going to be a great blessing because, hey, you know, what's going on here? So, and then she said to him, the man is a near kin unto us, one of our next kinmen. Now, Naomi's recognizing him that, that he is not next in line. Okay? He is one of the near kinmen, kinsmen. So Boaz is going to have to do some uh, work when it comes time to, to uh, be the kinsman redeemer on this. Jesus had to do a little bit of work too. He had, Satan had the title deed to this world given to him by Adam and Eve. And say, Jesus had to die for our sins and take the, take the title deed of this world back. He did some work to be the kinsman redeemer for us. And Boaz is going to do the same thing when it comes down to it. He's going to be doing some work. He's going to have to make some arrangements and say, uh, well, not kill the whole story. <laughs> but uh, he's going to have to do some work. And Ruth the Moabite said, he said unto me, you shall keep fast by my young men until they have ended the harvest. So he apparently not just told the men to leave her own, but he had told Ruth that she could go right up amongst the harvesters 
to, to, to glean. Again, this was something that was not generally or even mandated to the gleaners. You know, you could make them stay off the fields, in the corners, and stay away from you until you left the field. And Boaz is saying, hey, you let her get, you know, if she gets right up there amongst you guys, you don't, you don't rebuke her. You don't tell her to, to get back. You know, she, is, she is going to be able to glean. And here she says, he, he told me I could be right up there with the men uh, until they were done with the harvest. And Naomi said, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maidens and they, they meet you not in other fields. Again, you're safe there. You've got a protector. Don't go anywhere else. Wherever his people are, you go. Verse 23, so she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and of the wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. So she stayed with them through each of the harvests that came along. They started out with the bar barley harvest. And we know that they said corn, and, and corn is a very general title for all grain. And you see here her faithfulness. She stayed with Boaz's people through two harvest cycles. Now, I don't know if the wheat, how long, whether they planted the wheat while the barley's growing or she had a couple months in between, but she stays with them the whole time to harvest. Yeah, different fields. That's what I'm saying. There could be different fields. I don't know. But he's providing for her. Now, I don't know that she gets nine gallons every, <laughs> nine gallons of, uh, of produce every single day. But if, she, if she's working from morning till evening and she's getting to work right up there, and I'm sure that those were standing orders, you know, drop extra for her. You know, you guys are going to be a little clumsy. And she probably found somebody that really was acting clumsy to stay behind. Uh, but, you know, she's getting blessed. She's seen the blessing of God. She has chosen God, and God has blessed her. And you know, God will bless us. And the point of this, God has promised us to meet our needs. But my experience in my lifetime has been that God gives us more than our needs. He is not sitting up there with an eyedropper dropping down blessings upon us. Whoops, you got three drops. You were only supposed to get one. Oh my goodness, you can't have anything for, for three days now because you got too much. That's not our God. Our God is saying, all right, can I drop a bucket of blessing upon you? May not all be financial or anything, but, you know, he's going, I want to bless you. I want to give you great blessings. She walked out and found a good field to, to harvest in and got blessed by being able to harvest at the best parts of it. She wasn't told to stay back and, and not, not get the best. She was able to get in amongst the best. And this is the way God blesses us. Boaz is that picture of Jesus. Jesus wants to give us great things. Yeah. And Jesus in the New Testament gave the parable, you guys, you go all being good, you, would you give your, your child who asks for a fish, would you give him a snake? Would you give him a stone instead of a loaf of bread? If you, being wicked, know how to good things, how much more your Father in heaven? And that's a great picture for us. If we need something, God isn't sitting there saying, well, here, have, you know, have this bone to gnaw on for a while. Uh, is going to give us something that says, I'm going to suffice you. I'm going to give you what you need, and then we're going to give you some more. So that if you really want to work, you're going to earn it. And, you know, I've shared this. Sometimes our blessings come disguised as hard work. When I was living by faith, many times the, the blessings that he gave me came by, here's a job to do, here's, here's a special job to do, and people giving me money for doing, doing work. Sometimes the blessings from God are disguised with us having to go out and do something. Because he says that we're, he, he rewards diligence. 
Proverbs is all full of the quotes of the diligent shall be blessed. Not just the people who sit on their butt hoping, hoping for God to rain down blessings. Okay, God, I prayed, I've asked. I'm going to sit here in my easy chair watching television until the blessings come falling upon my head. God will reward the slothful with more, more uh, deprivation. Okay, God, I don't know where it is. I'm going to go out and I'm going to seek something. And God blesses. Now, I've talked to so many people who go, well, I just can't find any work. I have never been in a place where and I've asked God to help me find work that I haven't found something. It may not be my dream job out there at the, at the moment, but God has always provided. Most people are sitting around saying, God, I'm waiting for you to answer my prayer, and, and that's the question they feel. I'm waiting for you to answer my prayer. I'm just going to sit here in front of my cable television set in my easy chair and wait till you dump a job in my lap or dump a million dollars in my lap or, or dump my new car in my lap or whatever it might be that you're looking for. So we look at this and, and we see how God is blessing her diligence. And we just want to look at this and see God's blessing. And Boaz is this picture of God's blessing. And he is a picture of Jesus. And we're going to see even more a picture of Jesus as we go on. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help us to understand your love for us. Help us to walk by faith and to seek after you with all of our heart. Help us to not walk in our own understanding, but always trust in you. Lord, we just thank you for the story of Ruth and Boaz and the, and the wonderful picture of Jesus that he is. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.